Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. everybody welcome to grace life how are you guys doing it is so good to see you guys a couple of things i want to talk about before we get into the message first of all wednesday was our life group launch party we had a great time a lot of fun and uh, kept the rain away how cool is that Uh, but if you were not here and you did not get to sign up for your group here's the good news it is not too late groups actually start today but it is Labor Day weekend, which means if it's a Sunday group, I'm betting they're not starting until next week. And if it's a Monday group, they're probably not starting until next week. So you've got time. Go home today. Look on the app. Look on the website. Find a group for you that will work for whatever God is talking to you about in your life. Yep. Second thing, how many of you have been watching what is happening in Houston with Hurricane Harvey, right? Okay. Yeah, devastating what's going on there. We had a little bit of a flood, to be honest, a fraction of what they're going through about two years ago. And remember how much that devastated us. So if you can imagine just that being exponential in where they are. And so maybe you're saying, what can we do to help or what have we been doing to help? I just want to fill you in on where you are as a part of Grace Life. Turns out our campus pastor here, Kent Fancher, his son uh, recently moved to the Houston area to be a worship pastor in a new church plant there. So we have a connection. We said no better person to work with than that church. So what we've already done this week, what you didn't even know you did, what you have already done this week is you've already sent thousands of dollars to that church from your mission fund. And they have been uh, coordinating with people, rescuing people, and then putting them in the, the members of the church their homes. How cool is that? People don't have homes. They're all in the church family's homes. So we'll continue partnering with that church. Anything we can do as well as potentially sending teams down once things get under control right now. If you don't have a boat, you really don't need to be there. So we're just kind of waiting to see what comes next. Anyway, the good news is you have been a part of already helping people in Houston and you may not have even known it. Uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about is the first Sunday of the month. And that usually means a building update. But I'm not going to do that today for two reasons. Number one, it's a holiday. We've got a lot of people out, and I'll do it hopefully next week. But more importantly, second reason is up until this point, we've been using round numbers and estimations. But we think next week we're going to be able to give you actual numbers down to the penny of where we are, ready to close, and it's looking like that's going to be an encouraging number. So you guys be excited. Hope to see you next week and uh, be praying because, you know, <laughs> you never know how this stuff goes. But it's going well right now. Let's keep praying that direction. Good? Yeah. All right, here we are. We're on part four, the final part of a series we've been doing called Think Different. And the whole idea behind this series is how to get ready for the opportunity God will give us when we do move into this new building in nine or ten months. And we wanted to talk about what it means for us. And so I think for, the, for us to get started into the final part, the best thing we can do is do a recap. Where are we? Some of you have maybe missed a part. Again, it's online if you'd like to hear some of it. But I just want to real quickly get us all on the same page. So in part one... We used a sentence, I want you guys to all finish it with me with as much zest and excitement as you can. We said the building is not the vision, changing lives is good. Well, so far you beat the service before you, but there's still one coming after you because you left room. I'm just going to be honest with you, you did leave room to get defeated there. So we'll see if they're more excited about this. Here's the bottom line. A church that is changing lives will grow. And God has called us to change lives. It's what we are here to do. 
And so we called that message Building a Church. And we walked away with one sentence outside of that one that you hopefully are going to get more excited about over time. And that was, while the workers build a building, we are building a church. We're building a church. Don't ever lose sight of that. This is about people and what people can do in their community, right? Number two, part two, we talked about how we need to relate to people based on their gifts and their calling more than their title, predominantly talking about this idea. The lead pastor may not actually be the best pastor for your soul. And even if for some reason he were, which he's not, that was part of the message, is I couldn't possibly do that for everyone. And so what we were talking about that week was the idea of building a team and learning to relate to other people on the basis of this. Who's your pastor? It might be a small group leader. It might be a mentor. might be someone in your family. And it definitely is more than just me. We have a pastoral team of people. We introduced Kent Fancher as our campus pastor here. Come on, let's hear it for Kent. That was exciting. And then we went to part Three, and we talked about how the burden of leadership is great. As God sends people to us, there is going to be too great of a burden for just a few. And we used the word burden because that was the one in the Bible. But one of the best things that we learned last week was there's a better word, and it's privilege. You do understand being involved in the lives of other people for God's purposes is the greatest privilege. I mean, you can call it a burden, but it's a privilege. God doesn't have to send people to us. He doesn't let us have to let us be involved. He could send angels in their dreams to tell them who he is. He could send them to another church to get involved. He, if he sends people here, we don't need to look at this as a burden. We need to look at it as the greatest privilege ever, that we get to be involved in helping someone come to know Jesus. So the privilege of leadership is too much for just one, though. It's going to take all of us. The title of that message was Building Leaders. And we had one sentence that we walked away from that is going to be so true and it's going to prove itself over the next year or many years to come, actually. And that is this. A church can only reach its potential if the people in the church reach theirs. Grace Life can only do what each of us does put together. We've got to do what God has called us to do. So if you followed that so far, we started out with building a church and we went to building a team and then we talked about building leaders so guess what the first word of today's title is? Building community. We want to talk about building community. You see, there's something in our world today that's in our culture that we regard as a bad thing. And we would like to try and kill it as much as possible. And if someone ever says you're a part of this thing, you will defend it to the end saying, no, I'm not. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not in one of those. But the reality is, as we look today, we're going to discover you really can't kill this. You can hopefully redeem it, and that's what we're after. And matter of fact, churches are even known for having this thing, either good or bad, if they redeem it. We'll talk about that in just a second. You see, I grew up here in South Carolina. I grew up, though, upstate, right below the state line. There's a lake there, and it's just below Charlotte. Where I grew up was a very rural town. We had one stoplight. And I remember the day we got a Hardee's. We thought, man, we're on the map. Like, there is finally something in our town that other people have heard of. Because prior to that, we had cows and a community cash growth store. That was it. That was all there was in the whole city. City, can't we call it a city? It was a town, right? One stoplight and a Hardee's. But because we were so close to Charlotte, North Carolina, and because it was near a lake, we had this other thing. It was a gated community. 
for people who had a little more money than most of the rest of us, because most of the rest of us grew up on farms. I grew up on the farmland that my daddy grew up on that his daddy grew up on, so you know, that kind of area. Uh, some people would call us rednecks, especially because this is South Carolina, right? I prefer not to be called that, but that's okay. And so this community was gated, it was upscale, and there were a lot of people whose parents were executives and, and a little higher on the, the pay scale, and they lived in this neighborhood. And all of these kids always played together, they hung out together, they ate lunch together, they had their own table together in the, cla- the cafeteria. Y'all know what I'm talking about, you ever seen one of those groups of people? And we felt like from elementary school going on that we were on the outside they had something else that we couldn't be a part of. You guys ever know what it feels like to be on the outside of a group? You can maybe think back to high school or middle school, wherever it is that it happened to you. I think there's something that we all secretly want, deeply want, we're created to want by God. So I'm going to put something on the screen, and let's see if we can all agree that there is something in our nature that God has designed us to want this thing. And this is this. A small group of people with shared interest in common, who spend time together. Come on, who wants that? Don't we all want our own peeps? Everybody wants their peeps. They want somebody with them that's always, they just love them, they love them, they're back. I mean, they're, they, they're just there. They're always there for you. Sounds like a good thing. All of the hands went up, we all said, I want that. But I tricked you, because that was only part of the definition. It's a particular word we're looking for, and I want you to see the rest of the definition and see if you still want to be a part of it. A small group of people with shared interest in common who spend time together and do not readily allow others to join. Who knows what I'm talking about? A click. We're talking about clicks. Sounded good at first, but of course, as soon as you get the rest of the definition, we all know clicks are bad. Everybody would say clicks are bad. But the truth is, we all just want to be in one. We're not really willing to admit that because we don't like the last part that says they don't let people in. But just hold on to that. We'll talk about that a little more as time goes on today. See, here's the way it goes. If I go to a restaurant and I'm with three or four other couples, my wife and we're, we're on like a triple or quadruple date and we're having a good time and we're with our clique of friends, we don't mind that we look across the restaurant and you're there with your clique of friends. You got your three or four couples. We're like, hey, how y'all doing? Yeah, good to see you guys. Yes, yeah, see you Sunday. That's right. That's what everybody says to me. I don't know. It's like I got a t-shirt. Hey, as you leave my presence, always say, see you Sunday. But anyway, that's just the uh, pastor conversation. That's how that goes. I don't care that you're with your people as long as I'm with my people. It's only when I walk into a restaurant and you are over there with three or four other couples with church and I'm alone that I think, I go to the same church. Y'all didn't invite me. I feel really left out. If we want to be honest with ourselves, we don't mind that people have clicks. We just don't like when we're on the outside of them. As long as we've got ours, we are good. Here's why we need to talk about this today. Having close, trustworthy relationships, I believe, is one of the deepest cries of the human heart. And since we're created by God, I would go as far as to say God put that there for a reason, and there is something that we need. And why am I talking about it as a part of this series? Hear me. The people God will send are looking for more than spiritual truth. They're looking for spiritual family. I want you to think for yourself for a minute. Why are you at Grace Life? I don't think any of you would dare say or could say it's the most truthful church you ever found in Columbia. 
Because if you did say that, I'd argue with you. I've got some really good friends who are pastors preaching down the street. There are a lot of really good, truthful churches in Columbia. Why are you at Grace Life? It's because you found people. You found that truth and you found people. You found a spiritual family, you got connected, and you said, I could go there and hear truth, but I can come here and hear truth, and I've got a family, so I'm coming here. That is what happened. I want us to look today at how they handled this very same problem of being inundated with people who want more than truth, but they also want a spiritual family. I want us to look at what happened 2,000 2000 years ago and how they handled that truth. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. If not, it's on the screen. But just as a real quick introduction, I'm going to read one sentence to you out of chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was in all about 120. This is just a real quick review. If you were here in part 2, we already talked about this. How they had this beautiful, wonderful little small church. I mean, 120 people is less than we have in the room right now. You could actually know everybody. Everybody knew your name. You knew everybody else's name. There was no guest taking up your chair that you sat in every time you got together. Everybody knew. That's your seat. That's their seat. Nobody sits in anybody else's seat. It was wonderful. They were happy. They had all had shared experiences together. Most of them had followed Jesus together. I mean, they were tight. And then God blew it up. He pours out the Holy Spirit. Miracles are happening. There's there's supernatural translations to all languages of whoever is there that day as Peter stands up and he preaches the truth about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, the power of the resurrection. and, And I mean, it's just amazing. And then catch what happens in verse 41. Here we go. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, from part two, we already did a little bit of the math and said they went from 120 to 3,000 in one day, one moment, literally. And what I need us to see today is how did they handle 3,000 people not wanting just truth, but also wanting family? How did they handle this? How did they disciple 3,000 people with what was basically a 30 to 1 ratio? Well, here's the rest of the story. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. That's important. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Did you catch that? There were four things they were devoted to. For some of you, the only thing you need to hear today is that they were devoted to these things. Devoted. Because many of us are not devoted to much other than ourselves, if we were going to be honest. We're devoted to our careers. We're devoted to our own schedules. We're devoted to our own dreams and our own priorities. And those all have a place in our lives. But the question is, are we devoted to being a spiritual family at any point? Well, they were devoted to four things. And two of them are easy. Two of them I don't have to try to sell you on at all. I don't even have to preach about them for the most part because they seem deeply spiritual. And if I were to say two of these things we need to do in our lives. You'd all go, amen, yeah, I know that. Yeah, being devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's like Sunday mornings where you go and hear somebody preach the word of God. Now, here's the thing. If you needed me to preach at you to do that, well, you would be at home. You'd never hear me do it, so it'd be a useless point. Did y'all follow that? 
Yeah, no, you're here because you just already get that one. It seems spiritual. Let's do the spiritual thing. Maybe there's a hunger in you to go in here preaching, or maybe you just grew up in the Bible Belt and you check a box once a week. We, it, I'll leave it to you to decide where you are. But at least that one seems spiritual. No one's going to argue with that one. And then the last one that's mentioned also seems spiritual. They were devoted to prayer. I've never had to tell anybody that they should pray as a Christian. Because, you know, there's another thing that people always say to pastors. We just get, like, sometimes our conversations are boring. We get the same answers no matter who we're talking to. And one of we say to somebody, hey, how's your prayer life going? There is only one answer I've ever heard in all my years of being a pastor, and it is, well, not as good as it should be. How do you know what it should be? Because we know what it should be. We always know that we should be praying. I've never had to try and tell somebody that. Now, I may have to teach you how to pray, and I may have to teach you how to do it better, and, and, and that's okay, but I've never had to tell anybody that praying and getting teaching about the Word of God is a spiritual thing. We do that, and we actually do that pretty easily and readily and do it well. But the other two, they don't seem as spiritual. The other two, actually, if you were to look at it, you would say they seem incredibly practical. Fellowship, getting together, breaking bread, eating getting together and eating i can eat at home and i got stuff going on yeah that seems practical but follow how they were devoted to it if you actually look at the greek word for fellowship I'm not going to bore you with greek but i am going to tell you the definition behind it it is to be in close mutual relationships with other believers did you follow those words close mutual both ways relationships with other believers now let's back up and add a word, because they were devoted. to. That. So they were devoted, they made it a priority, they were committed to being in close mutual relationships with other believers. Does anybody see where I'm going with this? Sounds remarkably like small group of friends with shared interests who spend time together. Sounds like a clique that could be redeemed if you ask me. And when it comes down to the breaking of bread, some of us say, oh, that's just communion. No, it goes far beyond communion. They didn't get together and pass out a little cracker and a little cup of juice. No, they feasted together. They had meals together. Someone probably did stand up and say, hey, everybody, before we drink of this wine and, and eat this bread, as well as the lamb and the lentils and everything else, we just want to remind you who Jesus is and what he did. I'm pretty sure that they would constantly remind themselves of that which has kind of evolved into why we're supposed to sit down and say thank you, God, for this food because we're reminding ourselves that it didn't come easily, that it's a blessing from God. So I'm sure that there was an element of what we call communion involved, but the reality was they were just sharing life. They were eating meals and they were spending time together and they were devoted to these things. They were devoted to doing that as much as they were to Sunday mornings. I'll prove it in a minute. So what happened because of this? Well, it says, all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. You want to know the truth? That scares us. That is supposed to be one of the most encouraging passages about community. You won't have to hurt. You won't have to do without. You won't have to suffer. Somebody will be there for you. What is supposed to be one of the most encouraging passages about community, in reality, for most of us, we're like, yep, 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 good, good. good. Whoa, no. 
I might have to give everything I have. I might, I might actually have to give up my vacation fund to help that family who doesn't have groceries. We may have to give up half of our grocery fund and eat beans and rice in order to help that family who has a medical bill. We may need to sell our new car and get two used cars to give one to that family where the father can't get to work. Oh, that would hurt. Truth is, we're scared of what God would say to us if we got in community with people who had needs. Because most of us would like to think that we're not as selfish as we might be. And most of us would like to think we'd actually do what God says. And we read that and go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm kind of scared to show up for that meeting. Wonder what someone might expect. It scares us when it should encourage us. A lot of people have said this passage is some sort of foundation for communism or socialism or it sounds a little cult-like. I don't know if you've ever heard any of those sort of defenses or arguments giving, but none of those are even true. They don't hold any weight whatsoever because in the very next sentence, we're going to see that they come together in their homes every day, meaning they still have homes. A couple of chapters later, we're going to see where somebody lies about giving something and the leaders say, well, it was yours. It was yours. Why'd you have to lie about it? It's not communism. It's not socialism. It is community. You see, when you live in community, you just become generous because you have a Savior who gave everything for you. And there's no way you can walk home after spending time with some close group of friends and walk into your house and see two of something when somebody you just left has none. Generosity just comes out of us. It's not a you should do or you got to do. You just start to love these people so much because you are so much with them and so close to them because they are a small group of friends who spend time together. You see, once they became family, they simply couldn't keep it for themselves. They had to take care of other family members. And so what happened then? Well, day by day, catch that, day by day, attending the temple together means they kept worshiping, but also day by day, breaking bread in their homes. Day by day, breaking bread in their homes. It wasn't an occasional thing. It wasn't just, okay, well, now, once a week or once a month or on rare occasion, we'll go hang out with some other people. This was a daily part of their lives. They received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God. Now, here's the result. It's underlined. This is what I think we want to be said of grace life. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I just want to ask you a question. A year from now, when we move into that new building, and people start noticing that we're even here, it's easy to ignore us in this little warehouse parked behind some truck tires. But in a year, when people notice that there's a Grace Life Church, because it's on one of the most influential major roads with over 20,000 cars a day driving by it on their way to work, and people see that Grace Life Church is here, what do you want to be said? How many of you want to be a church that has favor with all the people? How many of you want to be a church? Now, this is just the way I imagine. I imagine angels like peering over a cloud. You know when clouds move? Have ever seen cl- I, I imagine an angel's up there going, let me see, let me see. And, and they peer over a cloud and they look down at Grace Life and go, man, God must like that place. Because the Lord keeps adding to their number day by day those who get saved. How many of you want to be, to be set of Grace Life? Come on, somebody yeah. with me? Yeah. And how do you think they got there? It wasn't just preaching truth. People everywhere preach truth. We're not the only church in the world that has truth. 
No, they got there because they were devoted to more than just teaching. They were devoted to more than just praying. Those are important. Please do not misunderstand. Another message, another day, just very important. But they were devoted to. It wasn't an extra. It wasn't an optional. They were devoted to being a family. And they were devoted to living like a family. And they were devoted to demonstrating that for the whole world. I want that to be our result as well. But I really need you to hear this. I really need you to hear this. This was not a program in their church. It was simply who they are. It was their culture. It was not a program. It was their culture. And that is the difference. What I want to talk to you about today is not a call to action. Every other message in this series has been, all right, let's go do this. All right, let's go do this. All right, let's go do this. Today, all I can say is, all right, I hope we can be this. It's not a call to action. It is a call to culture. What we have to do today, and we will demonstrate over the next nine to ten months as we move into that building, is we will demonstrate who we are going to be, not just what we are going to do. And see, the problem is this series is called Think Different because we actually have to. It wasn't just some cute thing we came up with in a creative team meeting. In order for this to work, we are going to have to think different. Here's what I mean by that. We've got to admit we live in an American culture. The majority of us are Americans. We were raised in an American culture, which means we think that way. And see, here's what American culture, American culture is independent. We can't wait to grow up and turn 18, get out on our own, move out of our parents' house, prove we can do this thing. We can make it. We can do it, right? Kingdom culture, as we just saw, is interdependent. It says, I need you, and you need me, and we'll always be better together, no matter what. It's in stark contrast to the way we were raised. It actually, for most of us, opposes the very goals we have for our lives. Let me get to my point. Let me get my stuff. Let me reach this on the career of my ladder that I am climbing. Let, instead of me showing how great I am, let me go help someone else become great. Let me take all the stuff I got when I finally got to the top of my ladder and give it to the people who were still at the bottom of theirs. What? Yeah, got to think different. American culture is private. American culture says close your blinds, keep your problems to yourself, go to church and smile. When somebody says, how are things? We all say, fine. And for most of us, it's not fine. But our American culture says your problems are not something you should post to the world. They're not something you should really share. Matter of fact, you should be ashamed of them and you should keep them to yourself. But kingdom culture says be transparent i mean did you catch that day by day breaking bread in each other's homes come on y'all know what it's like you can try this in america honey shh, no, no we'll, we'll talk about it later people in the house i mean they had at least 30 people in every house are y'all following that people here we'll talk about it later chill out well you can say that until those people are back the next day okay seriously honey i'm sorry we'll get a chance let's talk about it tomorrow but then they come back the next day. And at some point, honey throws a fit in the kitchen. I don't care. Those people are always here, and I got an issue with you, and we're going to talk about it right now. And you think you're embarrassed for about half a second until somebody in the living room goes, 
Oh, y'all are struggling with that too? Hey, we are too. Can we talk about that? And then somebody else in the living room jumps up and goes, Oh, man, thank God it's not just us. Can we talk about this? And the next thing you know, they're actually talking together about how, y'all remember when Jesus said, don't do what we're doing, let's do it that way, and everybody goes home better than in America where everybody goes home pretending to be good and they're not. Kingdom culture is transparent because the reality is we're all broken. This might be in different ways. Somebody around you actually does have a good marriage. But their bank account is negative and they need your help learning how to count. And then there are those people that are great with money, but they've chased their spouse off or on the verge of it. Then there are people that they've got good money and good marriages, but their kids won't talk to them. We're all broken in some way. What if we could actually get together right now and everybody could set up on the stage just one at a time? This is where I'm broken. This is where I'm broken. This is where I'm broken. And everybody in the room goes, I can help with that one. I can help with that one. Ooh, I need help with that too. Can you help me with that? What if we were transparent instead of private? Got to think different. American culture is busy. And kingdom culture, as you can see, is relational. And the first thought you may have is, wait a minute, those don't seem as opposite as the other ones do, Jimmy. Well, I think they're exact opposites because busy people don't have time to be with people. And relational people, well, they just can't be busy because there's no room for it. Because when you're supposed to be somewhere, well, you just got to stop and help these people. And, well, you can't do 42 things tonight because you're just spending time with friends. And no, you can't do it tomorrow night either because you're spending time with other friends. And you can't do it the night after that because there's this couple that you're helping with their marriage. See, when you're relational, it's hard to be busy. And when you're busy, it's hard to be relational. Got to think different. I need you to know this goes far beyond life groups. That's why I keep saying this is not a program. This is a culture. We do have life groups, but this is not about that. This is not a message for those. It, it should sound like a good one, to be honest, but it's not. Because the truth is community, what I'm talking about, being a family, building community, the best thing that we can do is start it with life groups. That's the best we can do. You know the whole thing about life groups and when we keep starting them over, we, we stop them and we start them again? The whole point to that is like being a teacher at a middle school dance. Now, I've been there and done that, literally, so I can tell you what it's like. You walk into the dance and the whole right side of the bleachers, the little boys. And the whole left side of the bleachers, little girls and you play a song and nothing changes and you play another song and nothing changes so finally somebody like the dumb band director gets a microphone and stands up and says all right everybody on the right side go find somebody on the left side and put them in the middle of the floor and let's go and next thing you know suddenly people are talking that weren't talking before that's the whole thing about a life group launch party is, hey, everybody who's new to Grace Life doesn't know anybody. Hey, all of you shy introverts who are just hiding over in the corner, come over here and find somebody. Hey, all of you extroverts that want to invite somebody to your house, get a table. Invite somebody. All we're doing is putting everybody in the middle of the floor. But sadly and truly, I can't tell you the number of times I've watched somebody go to a life group, learn the content that was being taught, but still go home lonely. Because being a family doesn't come from a program comes from culture it's not about what we do it's about who we're going to be i want to share with you a story of a guy in our our church named ray ray was in my life group now three or four years ago i should have asked him i could tell you it might have even been five years ago and, and ray's an empty nester he and his wife known that they're empty nesters they got adult age children 
And so they were just looking around the life group, and they noticed these two young couples, like just newly married, no kids, probably still trying to figure out what each other's middle names are, that kind of, you know, like just married kind of stuff, right? And so I didn't say anything. I didn't make this happen, nothing. I just found out that later when our life group ended, Ray decided he wanted to keep hanging out. Noda wanted to keep hanging out with these people. So they started inviting these two couples over to their house. And they just thought, you know what? We're, we're a few years ahead of them. We can just share our life with them and help them. Next thing you know, Ray's talking to the guys about how to be husbands and soon to be fathers. They both become fathers now. They've walked through giving birth and having babies. They've helped each other install hardwood floors in their house. Ray lives on a lake, and Ray likes to fish. So Ray said, well, why don't y'all come over once a week, and we'll just do a little fishing and a little talking about how to follow God. And then they said, well, it's time for a launch party. Should we invite other people to be a part of us? Yep, and then they did. Now Ray's got more people who come over and fish and hang out in the backyard, and they just talk about how to be men. It goes far beyond that. It's about culture. It's not a program. But can we get very real for a minute? I need your permission to say something to you you may not want to hear and is not going to be popular. Do I have permission? Every man in the church would want to be a part of Ray's group. But there aren't that many fish in Ray's lake. There's not that much room around the outside of it. And certainly that many men can't fit into his boat. And at some point, at some point, somebody's going to say, hey, Ray, can I come over? Oh, sure, we'd love to have one more. Hey, Ray, can I come over? Well, sure, we'd, we'd love to have one more. Hey, Ray, can I come too? Uh, it's getting a little crowded, but yeah, we'll figure it out. 50 people after that. Hey, Ray, can I come? At some point, at some point, Ray is going to have to say that horrible word. I'm sorry, but no. And somebody is going to point and go, you're a click. See, here's what nobody wants to say, that I'm going to be the one to at least risk it. Maybe, maybe in high school, there was that little group of cheerleaders or athletes that thought they were too good and just mean, and they didn't let anybody in. Maybe. But in most cases, they really aren't cliques at all. A small group of friends with shared interests who spend time together at some point is just going to reach a capacity for being a small group. And at some point, you just are what you are because of who you are. You know, those, those kids that we all thought when I was growing up were the rich kids from the gated community. We all called them the River Hills kids because that was the name of the neighborhood. Well, it turns out as they got older, they weren't as cliquish and stuck up as we thought. You see, the reality is when they were young, they just did what you would expect. They rode the bus together. They rode the bus together, which meant they spent time together, which means they talked about stuff together, which meant they became friends. And when they got off the bus and wanted to play ball, who do you play ball with? The kid that lives next door or the kid that lives five miles away when you can't drive because you're 12? So you end up just becoming friends. And yeah, you do stuff together because you live in the same neighborhood. And people on the outside say you're a clique. And the truth is they were never a clique. They were some of the most welcoming people ever. Once we all started getting cars and could spend time together, the next thing you know, you couldn't tell the difference between them and the rest of us. Except some drove trucks with rebel flags and some didn't. That's probably about the only difference. Welcome to South Carolina, everybody. You see, here's the thing. When somebody comes into grace life a year from now, the question is, are they going to find one or two groups like Ray where there really just isn't any room for anybody else? 
and say, this is a church with a bunch of cliques? Or are they going to find an overwhelming number of small groups? Are they going to find one man eating breakfast at Chick-fil-A with a couple other guys? They're going to find a businessman having a lunch meeting with a couple other businessmen saying, come and welcome us. Are they going to find another guy barbecuing every Friday night saying, come on, you're welcome, you're welcome to join us. Are they going to find another family here and another family there and another family there? The reality is cliques need to be redeemed. We don't need to get rid of them. What we need is as many small groups of friends that share time together as possible. You'll never get rid of that. The only question is if we'll have enough of them that they won't have to be exclusive. But there will be so many of them that we can share the weight and it'll be inclusive. I want to share a video with you of some stories of lives of people here at Grace Life who have been changed because they were part of a small group of friends. Check this out. So Elaine and I started coming to Grace Life in the fall of 2011 and um, fell in love with the church and the vision of the church and the life of the church. And one of the things that we'd never done before is a small group Bible study in Grace Life, we call them life groups. And we immediately wanted to, to lead a life group. And that next spring, uh, we decided to lead our first life group in our home. Uh, we really didn't know what we were doing, but we knew we wanted to be a part of what was going on. And um, uh, one of the couples that came uh, to our first life group uh, was the Troutmans. We were uh, you know, very connected to y'all's life group on Governor's Hill, downtown Columbia. And it was great. And then we had a season where, I think it was in between season, where Sarah and I were feeling a little disconnected from the church. A big challenge was trying to make something happen on the northeast side of town. We really liked going on Sundays and having the experience of church, but life groups in general were really challenged because we live on the east side of town. And I met with Jimmy. I met with Jimmy in light of that and felt like it was important that I talked to him about it. And he challenged me uh, starting a group on our side of town, and it was a good transition because the Floyds had just uh, moved as well. And so uh, we started a, a life group on Tuesday nights, and lo and behold, there was a whole bunch of people on the east side we didn't even know about that needed a life group. And uh, it was just great. So many friendships were really uh, founded in that group, and, and we came uh, way closer in our relationship as friends. Joining a life group was really huge. For me, I was and married then, I just moved from the Midwest, and so I felt really alone. So joining a life group helped me find a lot of freedom and, and find community. And then about that time, I thought, you know, I really like just some friends, just some people to hang out with. There must be other ladies yeah. who are single and who are here maybe for a temporary amount of time for school. I started a ladies community group as we progress in our relationships, our professional careers, finishing school, we want to have each other in our lives and we want to make this commitment to each other as friends that um, we're family and we're here to support each other through highs, lows, just anything that we go through. So three of the ladies that I met around that same time through life groups and uh, we became better and better friends through those ladies were in my wedding when I I uh, got married not too long ago, and our friendships have not discontinued because of that. We are still meeting, and so we get to see our friendship continue throughout celebrations and our lives together and have those ladies be a part of that. God created us to want to be with people who are sharing the same interests that, that we share and, and having our same um, maybe seasons of life that we're going through. And 
even if seven people come to your house and you have nothing in common with them, you might find like one or two people <laughs> and they could be lifelong friends. Yeah. I can tend to be selfish with my time, if I'm being completely honest. And it's hard for me to give up a night. I want to go to the gym, I want to watch TV, I want to watch my dog, but it is so worth it to give up that night uh, because there's so many people that need to be loved on and it's so important to be loved on and I think both of those yeah. things happen. Life groups, uh, when you can be real with people, when you can be honest about with people, um, when you can share your wins and you pray about your losses and uh, what you find is your, your joys are doubled and your burdens are divided. And that's what real community does for you. So um, I would encourage everyone to find their community in a life group. And if you can't find it, create it. Because there's someone else out there that needs you to create that space for them to feel, feel welcomed, them to, to really understand the love of God and love of God's people through community. Series is over. I can make sure we have life groups, and I will. But only you can make sure we're a family. Series is over. It's up to you to decide who we will be by the time we open the doors of that building. Will we be a family? I want you to real quickly do a little math with me, even for those of you that it hurts your head, sorry. I want you to go back to when there was a 30 to 1 ratio. Imagine if only the three top leaders, Peter, James, and John, said, we'll open up our homes, you guys come over tomorrow night. There would have been a thousand people in each house. Wouldn't have worked. What if the 12 apostles had? There would have still been hundreds in each house. Wouldn't have worked. The only way this worked is because every single one said, I'll take some. Every single one opened up their homes, opened up their lives and we're willing to be a family. Now, I want you just to think for a minute what God could do with us. 30 to 1 ratio, that means if God wanted to, and if we were willing, with a 30 to 1 ratio, we could become 18,000 people overnight. 18,000. That'd be a little insane, but we've got a model in the Bible of how to follow, right? And you would say, well, Jimmy, come on. There's not even 18,000 people. I would beg to differ. You live in a suburb of this city, and this suburb alone has over 100,000 people in it with less than 10,000 worshiping Jesus actively in a church on Sunday mornings. God could give 18,000 several times over to several churches if he could find a group of people who are willing to be what we see in the Bible. Because here is my closing statement for this series, I promise you. What God is going to do is going to depend upon our response to him. I believe God will send us the number of people we are willing to lead well, willing to love well, and willing to welcome into a spiritual family. You get that? I believe God will send us the number of people we are willing to lead well, willing to love well, and willing to welcome into a spiritual family. This is a question of who will we be? It is a call to culture. Are you willing to think different? I want to close by talking to those of you that are yet to be in a spiritual family. You came here this morning maybe looking for truth, but most of all, there was something inside of you that says, I am really tired of being alone. And what you need to know is that your father sent his son to die for you. 
And for every single one of us, that means at some point in history, we have to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to stand up or come down front. But right where you're seated, would you all join me and pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.